Back here on Darren Donick and Chase here at Pete and Terry's Tavern. Tonight's Predators and Minnesota Wild, 7 o'clock. Buck drop. I'll have pregame for you at 6 and everything heard right here on ESPN 1025 The Game. He's a writer. He's Adam Vingan with The Athletic, but today he's going to talk with us here on the show with his hoodie. Adam, how you doing? You act like I you act like I don't talk to you regularly. No, that's not true. I'm just saying you're a writer, but now you're going to talk. Yes. I am multifaceted. It would be weird if you were we you had to write it down and then we just read your answers. That would be weird. Yeah, and we wouldn't <laughs> get much done. I am a fast typer though, but Oh, really? We, yeah. How how good are you? Well, I remember taking keyboard class in elementary school yeah, me too. where and they, I got my hands yeah, slapped where they constantly. try to teach you how to yes. do it with all four fingers yeah I used yeah, to cheat when the too. when me the uh, when the teacher looked the other way I would yep. lift up the piece of paper and type so I call it I, I don't know how you would describe my typing style it's it's not quite hunting and pecking where where you you know where you use yeah. one finger I only I actually only use my pointer fingers to type but I'm very fast okay and don't have to look when I'm doing it I can use four fingers no, I can't. It just do like that. can't it because we did the typing class too, and then one day it just clicked and started working, and I clicked keyboard. I yeah, get it. Uh-huh. There you go. So if you just use your index finger, then I guess you are a hunter and a pecker. I guess so. <laughs> I've been called worse things, so that's good. That's good for me. So you the recently, fact that you even like touched my arm, like hey, hey, it's funny. No, like, you're you're authentic. Uh, yeah. You're authentically yeah, sure. American. That's why I was touching. Such you. a dad joke. With a cheap plug, authentically American. Talking about your clothes. All right, continue. You're the one who got us off course, man. That's on you. Don't <laughs> look know. at me. I know. Okay. Rain it in, guys. Rain it you in. You have said that you believe Kyle Turris because he is his average ice time is. You have to go back to what 2010, 2011. Yep, that's his second full NHL season. Right, for him to have this low number of average ice time that you've kind of lobbied for him recently, because of his good start in early play, for him to maybe get more ice time. Yes, and it took him receiving more than 18 minutes of ice time the other night, um, on Saturday night rather, um, to bump that total up to. You know, thirteen plus minutes before Saturday's game, when he moved up and centered Matthew Shane and Mikhail Granlund, he was averaging under thirteen minutes of ice time per game. And based on ice time alone, he is—he was clearly the Predators' fourth line center through six games, six or seven games, whatever it was, uh, before Philip Forsberg exited the lineup. Um, yeah, I, I think that he has had a really strong start to the season. I mean, he's exceeding my expectations just based off what we saw last year, plus the ice time he had been receiving. You know, I think he now has seven points in nine games, I believe it is, because he had an assist the other night. Um, you know, he is centering that quote-unquote. He's, he is center. I was going to say second line, but I'm not sure if you can even call it that. It might be the first line. But he's centering a line with Granlund and Duchesne, with Duchesne on right wing, which he has experience doing, while Forsberg is out of the lineup. But when Phillip comes back... I imagine the Predators will want to put them back together, Forsberg, Duchesne, and Granlund. So that means that if Kyle Turris isn't playing on Ryan Johansson's line on that left wing, he's going back into the bottom six. And I think he deserves better than that, quite frankly, just based on the way he's been playing. Or will they? That's That's where I'm I'm going with this. So Phil Forsberg is going to be back sooner rather than later. In fact, he was already spotted out on the ice earlier this morning. 
Could there be a chance that Phil Forsberg goes back to his familiar foes, back there with Johansson and Arvidsson, and they just keep that line that has looked very good. And I know it looked very good with Phil Forsberg as well, yeah. but maybe they just keep Duchesne, Granlin, and Turris intact, and they put Forsberg back up there with Johansson and Arvidsson. I mean, that's that's a good point. And, and Johansson and Arvidsson together, I mean, they had – you know, Arvidsson had two goals the other night. He ended up getting credit for that last goal that was originally awarded to Kelly Yarncroak. Um, but he that those two, Johansson and Arvidsson, statistically, you know, based on their underlying numbers, have not been as strong as they are accustomed to being so far this season. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're not playing with Forsberg. So it is a possibility that the quote unquote Drofa line is reunited. At some point, the only thing that gives me pause about that is while Matthew Shane does have experience playing right wing, they signed him to be a, a center. So, you know, do you know is this just a temporary thing just to make Kyle comfortable in that role? You know, someone who hasn't played wing, you know, he tried it during the preseason, but has been center throughout the regular season. You know, is it? Do they want to have Duchesne as a winger long term? I think that's. I don't think they do, which is why I think they might go back to what it was before when Philip comes back. But do you honestly think that? I mean, no, look, this is. I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way because we've talked enough about Kelly Arncroak over the years. He's a smart hockey player. They trust him. He's always in the right place. <clears throat> we get it. But do they really want to go with Callie Yarncroke on the top line all year? I, I, I would. I mean, personally, I don't think that's the long-term solution. That's you, why I think, you know, to me it makes more sense that – and I hear what you're saying. You're right. I mean, they didn't bring in Duchesne to be a winger. But also to make that happen, then you're talking about Callie being on the top line for an extended period of time or the whole season. And right. I, I'm not sure that's the case either. Yeah, because the, their options with their current roster are limited. Um, they, you know, they tried Craig Smith up there playing his offhand side for the first time in his career. I think he was up there for three games. He didn't have the desired effect. They put Callie up there. He's been up there ever since. I mean, there really, other, there really aren't too many options. Um, you know, Forsberg would obviously make a lot of sense up there as that's where he's been playing for the last several years. But I just, I just keep going back to... The, the the composition of that tourist line and whether or not the Predators want Matt Duchesne to be playing wing. Um, I think that's the one thing that would give them pause about doing that is having Duchesne as a wing for a long period of time. What do you make of UC Saros, his start in his three starts this year? Is it a little bit about his play? Mm-hmm. Is it a little bit about the play in front of him? Mm-hmm. Or the breakdowns in front of him at yeah. times, or is it a little bit of both? I think like, it's what, a little how do you bit assess of both. It? I think it's a little bit of both because the defense in front of him has not been great, and I would have to look at the numbers. But for as many goals as this team has scored, they haven't really given him much run support, quote unquote. Um, he. It's been know, a while though since we've seen him with an eight fifty three save. Percentage. Yeah, it's, it's when I looked at it a little bit the other day. I mean, this this is sort of his mo. Um, where he he has rough starts at the rough stretches at the starts of seasons, mm-hmm. and then he he kind of writes the ship, so to speak. So 
You know, last year, for example, he got off to a hard start. Hot start. I think he won three. First, or, he won his first four starts. Won his first four starts, and I think seven of his first nine. And then there was like a ten or eleven game stretch right after patch. that yes. where he had like an eight sixty something save percentage or something along those lines, and then he followed that up with a good four or five game stretch where he had like a nine seventy five save percentage. So this is just. You know, the growing pains of UC Soros. I don't think the defense in front of him has done him many favors. You know, looking at some of the, you know, the advanced metrics, he has had a, he's made a lot of the the really tough saves, but has struggled to make some of the quote-unquote easier saves this season for whatever that's worth. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him get an opportunity tonight. We'll see shortly when they go on the ice for morning skate. Um, you know, I think they just kind of need to keep feeding him in there. I mean, it, like... This is this year. I think is very important for the development of UC Saros. I know that Pecorine has played well, and he has this year and next year left on this contract. But as you get closer to that transition, I think they need to put Saros in spots that they don't typically do because they need to give him more playing time. So even if he's struggling, I think it's important to throw him back out there every you know regularly to make sure that he's getting the reps. Um, I sound like I'm talking about a quarterback I, here. I agree with that. Um, but <laughs> I, 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 I think that. That's important. So, you know, I imagine that he'll start one of these next two games. I mean, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised to see him start tonight at home with Pekka starting on the road on Saturday against Tampa Bay um, or vice versa. Um, but it's tough right now because I hear what you're saying, but Pekka's playing really well. Right. Pekka's right. doing – Pekka's just the opposite. I mean, he sees – he looks like he's seeing everything and he looks very comfortable – and is off to a really, really good start. And he was very, he's been great in his past two starts in Vegas and then the other night here against the Ducks. I mean, that game was 6-1, but if it weren't for Pekka, it would have been a lot oh, closer. Oh, man. You're talking about a breakaway by Kasha in the first period. Penalty You're talking shot. about a penalty shot. Yeah. You're talking about other opportunities that no doubt could have been a totally different game. Right. So I think what you're seeing from – you know, what you're seeing from UC Soros, you know, I know it's concerning to a lot of people, um, but I think it's still early. This is not unlike him to have these, you know, rough rough patches. And, you know, in a couple of weeks, he might have three or four consecutive starts in a row, at least for him, not over the course of a season, three or four starts in a row where he's very, very good, and then we're not really thinking about this anymore. But as Chase and I were saying, I think it's important to keep throwing him out there, even though Pekka is playing well. I think we're getting to a point in the in the you know where Pekka is almost he's about to turn 37 in a couple of weeks where you really need to start putting Soros in situations that are typically reserved for Pekka so that he can continue to get that playing time. If he didn't have a contract or if he was at the end of his contract, we would be on Pekka contract watch. Yes, for his birthday. Yes, up, we but, would, but we don't need to do that. Not this time. Uh, <laughs> two of the the worst three teams in the league on the penalty kill are Nashville and Tampa, which is ironically who will play on Saturday. Tampa's 29th in the league. The Predators are 30th penalty kill. The other, the worst team in the league in the penalty kill is actually in their division in Winnipeg. Winnipeg. And and by the way, it's not even close. They're at 63 percent Winnipeg. That is That's not good. Not good. So. Brought this up with David Poyle on Tuesday when he was sitting right where you are on Tuesday, and he was talking to us too, just like you are. And he talked about the penalty kill, and he said, you know, he was basically a little bit frustrated because last year was all about the power play, and he's like, you know, basically he was using the the leak reference, right? You plug up one hole and one leak, and then another one starts, and it's like the power play hole has been plugged up, and the only thing we're talking about that is how much better it looks and how – 
you know, effective it's been this season. And then you've got this new leak over here, which is the penalty kill, which has been rare for us to talk about in this market. I mean, going back to the beginning, I mean, it's there's been very few times when we've really had to talk about a, a poor penalty kill unit. Last year they were sixth in the league. The year before that they were sixth in the league. And here they sit 30th in the league. What do you what do you make? It's not like it's a different personnel. When I look at when before the game the other night, I was looking at the numbers, and one thing that really caught my eye was that the Predators had the worst save percentage in the league when shorthanded. And the old saying in hockey is that your goaltender has to be your best penalty killer. And I believe at the time before the game the other night, their their save percentage shorthanded was like seventy something, like seventy point something. It was very low. So you don't expect Pecorino and UC Saros to be that bad for long and that improve you know regressing to the mean i guess you could say should improve the penalty kill alone but you know on its own they've given up nine power play goals which is tied for the most in the league i I look at i look at the amount of shot attempts they're giving up on the power play i mean excuse me when on the penalty kill and and they're basically in line with what they were last year when they were sixth in the league I, i do think the the poor goaltending on the penalty kill has a lot to do with it, just because Pekka and UC haven't been making the saves they need to. But you look at some of the breakdowns. You know, I think about the goal that Jacob Chikrin scored against the uh, when they played the Coyotes last week. Uh, you know, there was a cross slot pass from right to left. You know, Saros bit on on the shot, and everybody else did too. And Chikrin had just a wide open net to pump the puck into from the left circle. You know, I think about the goal that Mark Stone scored for the Vegas Golden Knights last week where it looked like the coverage was just just loose enough in the slot that Stone was able to slip in there and score on the power play. I just feel like there have been these small breakdowns on the penalty kill that can be easily patched up, I think. So I know a lot of people think of what happened on the power play last year and how it never was corrected and thinking that the same thing is going to happen to the penalty kill. You know, I don't think it's going to be the case. I think they'll, I think they'll improve, just even based on the goaltending alone. As long as Pekka and Yusi can start making the saves, the save percentage goes up. So does the the penalty kill percentage. He's Adam Vingan. He's with the Athletic. He will stay through the break, and he will come back with more hockey talk that you want to hear. Don't go anywhere. But right now, I'm going to talk to all the men out there. I've been telling you for years about my friends over at Cool Springs MD, and they have started. Uh, they know a lot of you have started to seek help for. Hormone deficiencies and imbalances. And Dr. Jeffrey Lodge, who is the board-certified physician over there, is front and center on that quest of helping you as we all get older. His wife, Daphne Lodge, is a registered nurse, and their experienced staff want to give you men out there the treatments that are required to improve your quality of life. And I hope you want that like I do. And their services have already helped a lot of you here in the Middle Tennessee area and surrounding areas with improving your immune systems, your energy levels, your cognitive function, and so much more. They're there to connect you with the medical care you require to have a healthy and enriched life. There's no better time to achieve that healthy lifestyle than right now. What are you waiting for? Pick up the phone and dial this number like I have and make that appointment. 615-283-7291. That's 283-7291. Or you can always visit their website, coolspringsmd.com. I think of two things when I hear this music. I think of either CSI. Yeah. It was a CSI Miami usually. No, this was. Was it CSI Miami? This was CSI New York, I think, that used this one. Really? I yeah, they all me. They all used Who songs, but okay. And I think of the UFC. Ah, uh, yeah, right. Used it Getting too. ready for the pay per view. That's what I always think of when I hear these two songs. Back here on Darren Donick and Chase, 
Live at Pete and Terry's Tavern. Tonight it's the Predators and the Wild. Darren McFarlane, Chase McCabe, Adam Vingan from The Athletic alongside. He is got his, held, his head held up high, if I can say that out loud, <laughs> because he came from the D.C. area. And he's been here for five-plus years, or almost five years, close to it. Two years ago, the team that he covered, the Capitals, won the Stanley Cup. And so he knows all the stigma because he was covering that team of them not being able to – they had a lot of playoff woes. And he also remembers the stigma that's been there with the Nationals. They have not been able to knock down any doors in the playoff either. And here they sit with a 2-0 lead. They are two games – two wins, not two games – two wins away from winning the World Series. And that would be a World Series title and the Stanley Cup title, what, in three years, and don't for, don't forget a WNBA title. Well, I the did. Washington I Mystics. I did. I forgot. Recent that. WNBA champions. Yeah, Title Town USA. Did they have a parade? I don't know if they've had one yet, but they're planning to. I think. Okay. I feel like if uh, if the Nats do close this out, that fans of the Expos in Montreal should should join in on the celebration just because ninety four. You know, they they probably were going to win it ninety four, and they kind of got robbed. Um, I don't know. That the, the season was. What stopped in August? Yeah, but so they were was a they had of, a pretty significant lead. Yeah, but as we've like that's I think to me personally, the beauty of baseball and hockey is their playoffs are so hard to predict because it truly is as we've seen, it's truly about getting hot at the right time. Yeah. It is, and it's not like it never happens in basketball or football, but it doesn't happen anywhere near the upset level is anywhere nowhere near. Hockey and baseball. I mean, the, the Nationals are a prime example. If they win, if they win uh, game three, no one's ever done what they've done. Yeah. Nine straight postseason games. They've won eight straight, which is tied for the record. No one's ever done if they win another one or if they win game three. And I'm not the biggest baseball fan, so if the Nationals win the World Series, I'm not going to claim it as a chance. <laughs> I'm not going to claim it, but – I will be very happy for a lot of people that I know back in Washington who are big baseball fans, and and uh, you know the Nationals were very similar to the Capitals, you know teams that were expected to perform uh, and high high expectations and failed to do so. Um, you know I recall the game, man, what year was it? The year that they were up six was it six nothing on the Cardinals in the game and they blew it and they lost in the in the NLDS. Yeah. I remember. Falling asleep when that game was five or six nothing, and waking up—I think the game was on TBS—and waking up in the middle of the night, and you know the game was over, and some old movie was on, you know, because the game had long been over, and I hadn't turned off the TV, so some sort of old movie was on, and I was like, "Huh, I wonder what the score is." And for some reason, in the pit of my stomach, just knowing Washington sports as I did, I was like, "I have a feeling they might have blown this." And I checked my phone, and it was like, you know, the final score was what six five or seven six yeah. or whatever it was. You know, it was one of the biggest, like the biggest comeback in like a winner-take-all game in MLB history or something like that. So, you know, if they're able to pull this off, that would be great for them. Um, you know, the fact that they went into Houston, beat Garrett Cole, beat Justin Verlander. Um, you know, things are looking good. Things are set up well for them heading back to Washington. He is Adam Vingan of the Athletic. He covers the Predators for them. So, if I had told you, Adam, that on October twenty-fourth. Through nine games, Ryan Ellis would be the team leader in points. What would your response to me be? I probably, 
I might have chuckled, not out of disrespect to Ryan. I just think that there have been other people on the team who I would have suspected to be leading the team in scoring in terms of points. But you know, Ryan also looked really, really good this season. He looked like the old Ryan Ellis. Yeah, has nine assists in his past five games. He had four consecutive two-assist games and then had one assist the other night. And I was very interested to hear what David Poyle said on your show a couple of days ago because that because he used – uh, a phrase that I had used in describing Ryan Ellis throughout the summer, that something seemed off about Ryan last year. He played every game. He had a career high in points, but just something didn't seem right about yeah. Ryan last year. You know, the, the play that I think defines Ryan Ellis' season is the play in game five against the Dallas Stars where he and Jamie Benn track down the puck behind the goal, and Jamie Benn just swats him away with ease leading to a goal. I think if you were to ask people what their defining moment of Ryan Ellis was last season, that's what they would remember. Um, but, you know, I, I look at, you know, when you looked at his numbers last year, and you, like, the, Ryan Ellis, I feel like, was the perfect example of, you know, the eye test versus the metrics. Because his metrics last su- the season were good, but the eye test was, like, as we said, something seemed off about him. This year, they're working in concert. The numbers are good, and he looks good. And I know that there was some concern about his play leading into this season because it was the first year of his eight-year contract. Right. But so far, I, I think he's looked astounding. Um, I really think it's it's great for them. It's great for him. Um, and uh, we'll see, see if he can continue to rack up the points. The game the other night, 6-1 was the final, but I would say that the, the score wasn't exactly indicative of how that game went because I thought Anaheim at, at times – could have turned things around and, and played well. But I also felt like the Predators played their most complete game of the season. I felt like we saw some improvements defensively for the most part. What did you think? I did. I think so. I think Peter Laviolette said after the game that, you know, in talking about Pekka's performance, that, you know, they don't want to make it a habit of him having to make six or seven grade eight yeah. saves every game. He, he was up to the task the other night. But um, I, I think it's getting better. Um, I still think uh, they are allowing um, a lot of high-quality chances. It, it, I think if you were to ask Peter, the, the counterattack defense is what is lacking in his mind um, when things head the other way in an instant. Uh, I think that that's where they're getting caught sometimes. Um, so I think it's getting better. Um, the offense obviously is great, um, but that's going to regress because they're not going to keep shooting as well as they have been. You know, right. what they have, what, 38 goals in nine games? You know, that's not going to that's not going to continue to stay that way. So, you know, they're going to need to, you know, it's great to win games 6-1 and 5-2, but they need to win the games that are 2-1 and 2-0 and 3-2. Um, because, you know, going back to the Capitals, for example, you know, part of the problem early on in the Alex Ovechkin era was they were winning games 6-5 and 7-6 and 5-3. But th- those are not the kind of games you win in the most important moments in the playoffs. Not that this team is inexperienced winning games in the playoffs. They obviously have done that many times. But I feel like you know, you need to be able to be balanced on offense and defense in order to win important games. So it's great that they're scoring a lot of goals. It's really yeah. exciting. We're having a lot of fun watching them play, right? But you need to, you need to shored things up defensively as well to make sure that they're on the right track. It's well documented because we've talked about it with you before that the third pairing still continues to be a concern. You know, I mean, we saw it the other night, Yannick Weber, the penalty shot. I mean, that, that, was, that was obviously a lapse. Do you think this team can afford to wait 
to address that, whether it be at the trade deadline or, or before that, or do they need to start looking at that now? Yeah, that's a good question because I think it was Dan Hamhuse who basically gifted the puck to Ryan Getzloff on yeah. Tuesday night as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, it hasn't been good. And I asked Peter Laviolette last week when the team was on the road if those mistakes, those issues that the third pairing is having – are magnified because of the amount of ice time they're getting. They're not playing 25, 26 minutes a night like the other defensemen are. They're playing 12 or 13. So we don't see them as much on the ice. So when they are on the ice and they make a mistake, are we making a bigger deal out of it because of the smaller window of playing time? And Pierre didn't necessarily agree with that. He, he recalled the goal that the Red Wings scored in the second game of the season where the puck exited the zone Dan Hanhuse went back to get it along the boards. He bobbled the puck, and it led to a Red Wings goal. I think it was their first goal of the game that night. And he said that was a mistake that happened all the way in the offensive zone. You know, we, we need to be better there so that we didn't put Dan in a position to, for, what to hap, you know, for what happened. So, you know, it hasn't been good. Um, and if it continues to struggle, you know, there aren't a lot of great options in Milwaukee right now. I mean, Steven Santini isn't going to make it better. Jared Tenorti's not going to make it better. Alex Carrier or Jeremy Davies, they're not going to make it better. You know, so I think they're willing to ride it out right now with who they have. But, yes, you know, if it continues to be a struggle, you know, I think David Poyle should seriously consider looking into finding someone on the cheap that can, that can plug in that hole. Carrier is interesting, though, because he's a name that we've been hearing for, for several years. Right. Well, I mean, so what is he at this point? I mean, right. is, he a, is he a minor league guy, or does he need more development? That's what I want. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I remember seeing during rookie camp, I think he's only like 22 or 23, and I was amazed by that. Like, he just seems like he yeah. should be older than that just because of how long he's been in the system. I mean, it's been almost three years since he made his NHL debut. He played a couple of games during a Western Canada road trip, and he hasn't right. been back since. I mean, he was the captain of the Predators rookie tournament team, so they have a lot of respect for him. But you're getting to the, you know, you're getting to the point where it's sort of like make or break for him. He like, just turned 23 this month. So, wow. which is hard to believe. I thought he was like 25 or 26 before I looked it up. I remember. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what his ceiling is. I don't think he has, you know, a high NHL ceiling. Maybe he's the kind of guy that gets called up for a couple games here and there and plays. But, you know, it's the same thing with Jared Tenorti. Jared Tenorti, f- former first-round draft pick, Stuck around camp until the very end. Hasn't played an NHL game in three years. You know, he, he is what he is at this point. He's older than Carrier. But, you know, Jared Tenorti is not an NHL, is not a steady NHL player at this point. Like, he's, you know, plugging him in is not going to make a difference. So, you know, the, the defensive depth is not as deep as it once was. You know, a lot of the players have either graduated or honestly have they been traded, whether it be Seth Jones or Sam Girard or whatever. So I think... You know, that, that, is a, that is a problem area for the Predators that they need to address at some point in the future. I think Jeremy Davies is the guy that they would like yeah. for him to step up at some point and be one of those, you know, one of those guys yeah. on, on that pairing. But obviously he's not ready. What, last thing, what, why don't you think the Daniel Carr experiment worked? I know it was just three games, yeah. but obviously they had, um, you know, they spoke very highly of him and they – they thought they had found something, and it just didn't translate, at least not to this point. Who knows, <clears throat> excuse me, if it ever will here, but why don't you think it worked? I, I'm still kind of trying to figure that out myself just because I know David said on the show um, a couple weeks ago or last week when it happened um, that 
you know, he he didn't really get the opportunity to to play. And when he did, it wasn't you know he wasn't as consistent as they wanted him to be. But he only played in two games. I mean, unless they're including the preseason in there as well. You know, Daniel Carr, you know, didn't jump off the page in any of the games that he played either in the preseason or during the regular season. But you know, he's that he's another example. We're talking about Carrier, for example. I mean, Daniel Carr is twenty seven years old. I mean, he was the AHL MVP last year, but, you know, at this stage, you know, he hasn't been able to stick around in the NHL for more than, you know, 15, 20 games at a time. You know, this is may, may he be, you know, there are players, there are professional hockey players who are great AHL players who never turn out to be great NHL players. It doesn't always translate. You look at some of the MVPs in the, if you, if you were to Google right now, the AHL MVPs, I think I wrote this in the story. Uh, during training camp, it's less a who's who and more a who's that. <laughs> like, there's not, you know, the last NHL, the last. You're saying it didn't translate to this NHL career, right? The last NH, the last AHL MVP who immediately turned his AHL MVP season into a steady NHL job was Tyler Johnson, who now okay. plays for the Tampa Bay Lightning. That was like six or seven years ago. I think it was during the lockout shortened season that he was the AHL MVP. Of course, the AHL didn't have a lockout in twelve thirteen. So you look at some of the other players on that list, you know, yeah, they get a couple games here and there, but they never translate their AHL success to NHL success. And that is something that happens a lot. Yeah. And so Daniel, that might just be who Daniel Carr is, which is unfortunate because I had, I, I had high hopes for him. It, that doesn't mean he can't come back at some point. But the fact he wasn't claimed either, you know, he might just be a really great AHL player, which is not bad for Milwaukee. But in terms of helping him here, it may not be written in the start. Adam, good to see you. Thanks for doing this as always. We'll talk soon. All right, guys. Thanks, Thanks. Adam. Adam Vingan, you can go find his work at The Athletic. He does a really good job, and I hope you are finding his work. Back to wrap up the first hour next.